Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the GamerNode Show. I'm Eddie Inzotto, your host and editor-in-chief at GamerNode.com, and I'm here once again with Bianca Figueroa Santana. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. How are yeah, you? I'm, I'm doing great. We played a couple of really good games. Uh, I don't know if the title that we haven't chosen yet of this podcast, of this episode, gives it away, but we're sort of taking a look at a couple of games by the same designer. Yes. Yeah. So we played a couple of games from this sort of guild of designers who commonly work together. Um, the, the common designer between the two games was Simone Luciani. Uh, one of the games was with Daniele Tashini, and the other was with Virginio Gilgi. Uh, and those games were Grand Austria Hotel and The Voyages of Marco Polo both uh, incorporating dice heavily into their mechanics, but in a very uh, luck-mitigated Euro sort of way, right? So how'd you like these two games? Um, I really enjoyed these quote-unquote luck-mitigated games. <laughs> what, did you feel that they were lucky? I did. I definitely did, both especially... Well, I mean, Grand Austria Hotel for sure, mm -hmm. and then Voyages, um, I guess less so, but there was still an element of luck involved. Interesting. Interesting. See, I feel like in Grand Austria Hotel, the luck is shared between the players, so it feels less oppressive to each individual, especially when you do a card draft at the beginning, whereas Voyages of Marco Polo... You each have your own dice, so it can feel more lucky in an unfair way. Oh, I was thinking more in terms of, for Marco Polo, lucky as to whether your <laughs> opponent is going to take the action that you want or not. Because I, I personally, well, maybe we should save this until we launch into our yeah. actual... <laughs> yeah, for I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going to back off a little bit. All right, so which one are we talking about first? Um, let's talk about GAH. G-A-H. Grand Austria Hotel is a um, really interesting game. Um, it's about attracting guests to your individual hotel. Each player is trying to fill up their rooms and cafe establishment mm -hmm. with visiting guests. First by feeding them and giving them coffee or wine or cake or whatever in your cafe and then moving them up into a room in the hotel by taking dice from a common pool, each of which grants a particular action. I think we should not forget that this is a very classy establishment, so you need to be very selective about which guests you attract, because otherwise you're going to fail as a hotelier. True, true. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that's like sort of the overview of what the game is. I don't know if we should be more detailed about it to like really get the point across over audio. Um, would you like to give it a shot or shall I? Uh, yeah, how technical do you want me to get? Do you want me to get into the mechanics? Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, sure. Um, you have two boards, one of which is, I guess, well, you have three boards technically. 
you have a board for your common pool of dice, and then you have the main board where you um, pick from a tableau of five uh, different potential guests, all of whom have particular uh, predilections when it comes to eating and drinking, and you have four options, just to digress a tiny bit, in order to feed or slake their thirst. You have, as Eddie said, wine and coffee or strudel and cake. And so on that same main board, you have what is known as the emperor track, which I will let Eddie get into because I hate it. And then you have your round markers um, and a couple goals. So after you uh, grab some guests for your hotel, you put them in your cafe, which is the bottom floor of your personal player board, which is the third board. And you have three beautifully uh, set up tables. Um, and so you have three slots for guests. And the goal of the game is to get them into hotel rooms, which are above the ground floor of your hotel, and to do so by um, basically feeding them whatever they want. And you also need to be able to open new hotel rooms. You ideally need to be able to recruit staff that have special abilities and talents that will help you. Um, and most importantly, as Eddie said, you need some luck uh, in terms of what either player rolls. Now, this is a common pool of dice, so the luck affects both players equally. Um, but you have six columns, and each of them corresponds to an action. So, for example, taking wine and coffee, or strudel and cake, or opening a new room, or taking cash, or earning points on the emperor track, uh, or hiring a staff member. Um, and so you're trying to figure out how to best use the dice as you go along. Uh, and I'll leave it up to you, Eddie, to decide whether to talk about the mechanics of actually how the turns work. But maybe that's a little too in-depth. Yeah, so the, uh, the guests Bianca mentioned are cards from a deck that are placed out each round. And each of these guests is categorized by color. There are three colors that match the three types of rooms on your player board in your hotel and one wild color that can go in any colored room and they're laid out in a row where the two at the end of the row are free to take into your cafe and then the last three cost a dollar more each and as these guests are taken they slide down into the less expensive slots and on the card are specific drawings of the, the various cubes that represent the different types of food and drink. So you know that this guest wants one white cube, which is cake, and one red cube, which is wine. So when they're in your cafe and you take the action, which is to pay to deliver food to your tables, you're placing those specific colors onto those cards and once those needs are satisfied, you can then discard that card and take the special action or reward that each of those guests have listed on their card. It may be earn money, it may be go up on this previously mentioned um, emperor track, it may be close an additional room, it may be hire a guest for, for less money than you normally would, any of these things. It's, it's definitely good. Number. Yeah. As opposed to a guest. Hire a... Staff oh, yeah. Member. And I meant not hire... Hire a staff member or attract a new guest for yes. free. Um, so these things are very good to do, and you want to get your guests 
bed and placed into a room and you have to have your room prepared before you can actually move them out of your cafe where they're just taking up space until you can get them into that room um, and preparing a room is a separate action taken from those dice that Bianca mentioned. Action three. And so when you do that, the visual representation on your player board are tiles that are an open door on one side and a closed door on the other. So once you've placed a guest of, say, blue into a blue room, you'll flip that tile and it'll be completed on your board and open up that space for a new guest to come in. And the rooms in the hotel are oriented spatially in a grid where you have to start at the lowest floor on which it costs you nothing to prepare a room and as you go up and up the floors it costs you more and more to get rooms ready however you have more earning potential in terms of victory points as you get to that top floor and the most distant away from your starting point plus you can receive bonuses by filling in blocks of light colored rooms and the different colors earn you different bonuses in victory points, money, and the emperor track. And the other thing to know is there's multiple boards with different configurations that you can right. use um, for yeah, different, different groupings, different groupings of the different colored rooms. Mm -hmm. And then with the dice rolling, um, one player will roll the dice at the beginning of the round, and then the dice are sorted based on what the action is that that number of pips does and then the turns are staggered because they're not alternating they're staggered you have someone who's going one at least for a two-person game uh you have someone who's going first and fourth and then the other person's going second and third yeah and that can be kind of rough in a four-player game uh so much so that the designers have come up with an alternate turn structure that they say is a little less balanced but official uh, and approved nonetheless, where, where play just goes around clockwise. But in a four-player game, you could be the first player. You go first and eighth in the round, because you get two actions per round. And an action is just simply looking at how the dice are stacked up in these six available action slots and taking one off of the board um, and keeping it in front of you. And the interesting thing about this is that in certain games you might you might think that if there's an abundance of one type of action, you know, like say we rolled a bunch of fives, and that, that gives you a particular action, which is to hire staff, staff members, members. Um, you might think your instinct might be, oh, there are so many of those, I don't need to jump on that right away, I should take rarer things. But in this game, the number of dice that are on each available action indicates how many times you will take that action or or the, the degree of benefit you get from that action. So for the first two actions, you're taking resources. Like one of them is to take the two types of food and the other is to take the two types of drink. And if there's one die there, you only take one cube into your kitchen. If there are five dice there, you take five. So you want to jump on those those actions that have a great number of dice as opposed to the other way around. And since there's just such a high degree of randomness when you're rolling 10 to 14 dice and then hoping that your numbers come up, uh, the game incorporates uh, an interesting 
passing mechanic, which I think is very valuable to the to the gameplay, wherein Absolutely. you you say, okay, I'm going to pass, everyone else finishes out their turn in that round, and then the player with the lowest number turn order slot throws away a die in the trash bin and re-rolls everything. Literally a- the trash bin. Yeah, there's a... It's cute. It's a uh, cardboard cutout of a trash can. And then after those dice are re-rolled and replaced in their new action slots, giving a whole new set of choices for all the players, that player takes his or her turn, and then the, the following players can either go with that or pass again. So the the passing mechanic, at first, when I played, I didn't really capitalize on it enough, um, but it in later games, it factored in over and over because sometimes you want to take an action. If you're strategizing, which you can do in this game, it's not entirely tactical, you, you, have, to, you have to say, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get rid of a die, and I want to try to get the action that I think I need to be more successful. And yeah. it's got that push your luck to it. Well, also, there's definitely a time a crunch. <laughs> there's definitely a time crunch in terms of why it's valuable to pass because there are relatively few rounds in the game mm-hmm. so even if you have a specific strategy there's a certain degree of anxiety about completing that strategy um that really encourages you to pass when you're not getting the the dice that you want mm. yeah so how do you like that that whole dice drafting mechanic i actually really like it um well i like it in the context of this game i like that there are six different actions um and i like that they're they specifically correspond to the dice and i like that i like visually how it's set up you literally have six different columns mm-hmm. um and it's yeah the ones sit on the pastry exactly. shelf and the the twos sit in front of the wine and the in the coffee machine so, it's really thematic and great art by uh, yeah. i think it's clements franz and um, organizationally, I just think it's really well done, uh, and that <laughs> that is something that I apparently really cherish. Yeah. No, no, it's when you look at the game and see how all the mechanics interact together, you wonder how these guys thought this up. Mm, that's true. <laughs> you know, like, geez, this is a really complex set of of interactions, and they're just brilliant to have yeah. to have put this together um the fact that there are three boards that each player is dealing with three boards and yet it feels like one seamless experience it does, it does run so smoothly yeah. despite the two decks of cards that do two two different things the board full of dice that you're drawing from and a board full of chits that you're tokens that you're placing filling up and flipping over it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, plus dealing with the little bundle of cubes that you're moving onto your play at uh, your guest cards. It's like so much going on, and yet it's just smooth as silk. The first time I played, it was a little awkward because I like didn't know how to focus my energies, and um, that's the the last couple of things that we didn't mention uh, in in great details. Like that emperor track you said, um, this is. Just a, a, it's almost like a secondary scoring track where throughout the game different 
actions, maybe certain guests, and a particular action on the dice board will allow you to go up this emperor track. And at the end of the game, and in scoring rounds through the game, you're going to be earning points off this emperor track. But it's kind of like that old feed your people mechanic in in those really brutal euros like Agricola or you know any of the games where at some point you have to really stress out about oh my god am I going to have enough to do x y or z mm -hmm. and in this case when you hit rounds three five and seven there are a total of seven rounds at the end of these rounds you are going to lose three five and seven points on the emperor track and depending on where you end up, whether you end up in the, what is it, uh, two, uh, three through whatever spaces, you're going to get a bonus at that point in the game. But if you only have one or two on the Emperor track, it's going to give you nothing. And if you're at zero, which is really easy to end up at, yeah. like unless you're really pushing the Emperor track, you can end up at zero, at which point you are punished. Um, one of the... Pretty severely. Yeah. Yeah, one of the uh, penalties is remove all the food from your kitchen. Yes. Another one is lose two already occupied rooms straight out of your hotel. And usually you can decide to avoid that by paying in victory points, but even that is pretty pricey, and I've... I've never gone that route. I usually just get the staff member <laughs> that lets me avoid... <laughs> Pay a dollar. Yeah, to avoid the Armageddon Bribe that the is emperor. the Emperor track. So when you said you're going so to get points... is this a state-run hotel? Yeah, I suppose yeah. it is. I right, suppose the Emperor comes around and says, you're not doing good enough. Well, the directions explain thematically what the purpose of the emperor is. Oh, so I think I ignored everything and, yeah. that was thematic in, you, in you the shouldn't. rule book. I was like, this is a euro. It's a bunch of mechanics put together that I can play. You should go back. Although and it is it. it is really thematic and wonderful to, I think it's wonderfully to play thematic. in a thematic environment, which is great. Um, the other thing on the board that we wanted to mention, in addition to those three tiles that are randomized each game there's a a a b and a c set of these the three awards tiles, and penalties yeah um so you're drawing random ones each game so it's going to be a little different each time the way that you're beaten and flogged um there's also an a b and c stack of goals goals they're the what are they, the politics cards and they give you sort of long-term goals that everyone's competing for and the first one to complete these, which may be like, get to a certain point on the Emperor track, get a certain number of dollars, um, fill in two rows of rooms in your hotel, or fill out a certain number of reds and a certain number of blues, uh, and there are a variety of different combinations, the first player to do that throws one of their player markers on there, they get 15 points. Second player to do it gets what 10 points and then it goes down so you're you're sort of hurrying to get those and those help sort of direct you in what you want to do because otherwise i think if i were to sit down with this game i'd be like what do, what do i focus on <laughs> yeah so that's it's really good to have those and again those are all variable every game so it's a little bit of a different experience each time so 
I think I, I feel like I incorporated my thoughts into the description of the game. I find that I really like the the dice drafting mechanic because of the way that everyone's in the same boat and sort of fighting over what's available. Uh, I really do like that. And I like the fact that you have to you have to decide whether what's out there is good enough for you or if it's worth throwing away a die, which is another opportunity to benefit from whatever action it may have come up on, um, just so you can re-roll and try to get something a little bit better if you know what, what you really wanted wasn't available. Well, I have two critiques. Um, and the first is what I mentioned before, is I really... I don't like the Emperor track. Maybe that's a little overstating it, but I, I don't like the degree to which I feel as though it dominates the game. You it, feel like you always have to focus on it no matter what, and like in yeah. a pretty heavy way. There's, it, it causes a lot of anxiety, and because there are so few turns overall, mm-hmm. it really... Yeah, each player gets 14 actions right exactly and so it seems a bit much to have to dedicate so much time and so many actions to keeping yourself from slipping on the emperor track um and it's so easy to be at zero it's just Mm. so incredibly easy to be at zero and like you said the penalties are fierce yeah this is not a game of plenty like you described lost valley definitely not but it's also a bit of a masochistic game in that sense or a sadistic game i guess Mm. um the emperor track does feel a bit sadistic and i don't love that although we played where we got rid of the um the uh the yeah, penalty we, we tested playing without the penalty just to see how that would feel and, and you just and, ignored and getting the bonus and not the penalty yeah um and i that's the thing is i didn't ignore it i just had a strategy that was not focused on that and it's hard to cram in yeah. two different strategies quite frankly yeah i kind of wonder how many viable paths to victory there are because i've sort of settled in on hiring employees as quickly as possible to build up an engine of bonuses for my various actions because these these employee cards that you can put out will give you like little extra tidbits each time you take you know maybe a one die or a two die or they'll have a passive ability like one might let you take new guests into your player area for free another one might have one-time benefits. Another one might give you something each round. So it's good to have them out early. And I I sort of feel like I can only personally maximize my, my success by devoting early rounds to that and then playing off of that. And I worry if that's the case, like if that is truly the case... Um, if the game is just going to be that same thing all the time. Well, Although we played a lot, and it always felt engaging. True. The creators claim you don't have to hire any staff and you can still win. It's yeah. it's explicitly stated in the directions. I don't buy it. <laughs> um, although, I guess I do buy it because I believe there's probably someone out there who can do that yeah. after practicing a lot. But it's definitely... Go hard on the food. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, and the one thing that I will say about the staff cards is I agree with you, you really do have to rely on those a lot, 
And that did make for, in, a, in at least one time that we played, a really boring first two rounds because it was just you and me taking fives. We yeah. were both taking fives for like two rounds and that just didn't, it wasn't as stimulating or exciting. Right. That's true. Um, and then the other issue with the staff cards, which we solved with a workaround that has been condoned by the by the designers, is... Oh, it's, it's actually in the rule book. Right. It's drafting. Okay. So still condoned just to be yeah. clear. Um, yeah. Is that... If but, you, I mean, it's not like like the like the other right. rule where we had to go on Board Game Geek right. and find Simone Luciani starting a thread saying, hey, if you don't like the downtime, do this. Right. Um, so when we first played, we, we definitely had very different hands. He had a very stacked staff, <laughs> de- deck of staff cards, and I literally just had the crappiest staff cards of all time, just like the the weakest of the weakest, and <laughs> I just had no chance, no chance whatsoever. And so we ended up doing that drafting variant, and that improved it dramatically. Yeah, definitely. Um, because it's true that you have to rely on the staff, and if you have crappy staff cards you're pretty much doomed to lose um in my personal opinion but not according to the designers i don't know i think the staff cards are really important but i i have a couple of friends who were playing on tuesday and they had like three staff cards each how many times did they play the game uh one of them had played a great handful and another it was his first game interesting but I felt like I came over. I was like, "Damn, you, you don't have you have no staff cards, whatever." I mean, like it I end up with the like multiples that six. You, well, that the, you're trying to get, you are trying to get these astronomical scores of like a hundred and fifty. And they scored well, though. And, like, these guys had lapped the scoring track and scored really well. See, I don't understand. I mean, I wasn't there, so it's hard for me yeah. to know exactly what their strategy was. But. A lot of rooms. They achieved the goals. I think achieving the goals is super important. So, yeah. yeah, so but there may be a lot goals, of different ways. Achieving the goals, just to be fair to listeners, it, they are really difficult goals as well. Everything in this game yeah, is Yeah, you have difficult. to sacrifice. You can't really get everything, you know? Right, absolutely not. And it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Every strategy like running a is hotel. an uphill battle. It's really it is. hard. Don't do it. Don't get into it hotels. Is. I worked it's in like, a hotel for like nine years. Yeah, it's <laughs> it really is. It's it's You see the game you and you think holidays. it's going to be like very happy and... Don't see your family. Well, anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I don't see my family because I'm too busy obsessively playing the game, but... Yeah. All right. So, after all this, I'm still thinking about the game a lot. Yeah, it's so on my you, mind. What do you think? Um, I give it a five. A five? Absolutely. Oh, wow. I give it a hard five. <laughs> Despite all that. Wow, I was... I was not sure I was going to give it a five. Uh, I thought I was going to give it a high four. You told me that that doesn't exist. It's either <laughs> it's whole numbers only. Okay, I mean, if we're going by the iconography of the GamerNode rating scale, which I thought was the most fair way to rate games, uh, then yeah, I guess it would be a five because it makes me cheese, cheese my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy smile. Um, yeah, you were five. Yeah. I mean, obviously, for a certain group of people, I think it's a gamer's game. It's not great for young children. You know, stuff like that. It's a certain subset of people who like to play board games, but it's a five. Yeah. Maybe. I'm on the fence. 
I'm on the fence. Well, it's anyway. a, it's a five for me. Okay. In any case. <laughs> nice. What I'm about the only it? one that counts here, so. Okay. I, I'm just happy when you like a game that much. That's exciting for me. Yeah. I love when people love games. It like It's just wonderful to see. I love people getting excited about them. I don't know. That's why Jason Finelli is so great. So, let's shift gears away from building our hotel empire and into adventuring across the land from Venezia to Beijing and back. You're really getting to practice your Italian this, uh, this <laughs> well, episode. Well, this is it's a very Italian-themed episode. Yeah. We should throw in a little review of Cinque Terre. But uh, that should. might that might really drag it out. Um, no, we're we're spotlighting these Italian designers, and they have a lot more coming, which we'll talk about at the end. Eddie's um, Italian, just in case you didn't know. So of course, of course, they knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, so voyages of Marco Polo. This one's by Simone Luciani and Daniele Tacchini, and these are the guys. This is the combo who did Sulkin, the Mayan calendar prior to Voyages of Marco Polo, but this is a very different game. Um, Similarly to Grand Austria Hotel, it uses dice, but each player has their own pool of dice in this one, and it's a sort of dice placement as opposed to dice drafting, and players are traveling across a map along various roads and routes and ship routes from city to city, collecting bonuses in goods trading and camel gathering um, and fulfilling various contracts as as traders do along the way as they hit each and every city dropping off their trading posts. Um, and players will be using the dice that they roll to vie for the various action spaces around the board. I think that that's a pretty well-rounded picture of the game, right? Yes. Did you talk about the destination tickets? The destination oh, oh. tickets. Yeah. Yeah, and this is another game that has um, hidden goals. Each player will start with these two hidden goals. They have to reach two cities and and place trading posts there in order to earn a stated number of points on the cards. Meanwhile, they have contract cards which they can be collecting and fulfilling throughout the game by taking one of the worker placement or dice placement actions and then gathering the number of goods, camels, gold, Salt. spices, I mean, pepper, pepper <laughs> silk, and, uh, and then just throwing them back in the supply and, <laughs> and achieving various victory points and other rewards. A lot of times you... Uh, you give in camels, and then one of your rewards is getting camels back. Yeah, I had such a such an incredible glut of camels right. last game. Oh. oh, oh, and that's the other thing. This is a very interesting game in that each player is not exactly starting off on, on even footing. Um, every character in the game, each player gets a character that they're playing as, has a special ability. So... In the in our most recent play, Bianca had the character who, whenever any other player goes to the market, the Grand Bazaar area, which is 
a place where you put out your dice and collect a certain number of goods. You'll collect more goods for higher dice pips. But whenever I was to do that, whether I placed one die to get camels or one die to get pepper or two dice to get silk or three dice to get gold, <clears throat> she would be able to take one of the type of good that I was receiving from the supply. So she was getting a lot of stuff. It wasn't just the Grand Bazaar. It was two other actions. And two other spaces as well. well. And meanwhile, I had an ability where in this game, normally, if a player has placed on an action space, if you want to place your die there also, you have to pay in coins the number of pips that you're placing out on your die, um, or the lo the lower value if you're placing two or three dice. And in my case, I never had to pay to take an action that Bianca had already taken. So I was free to like not worry about the order in which I was doing things. Whereas she was free to just get a lot of free stuff. <laughs> yeah, although yours I think was more valuable. Uh, probably strategically it was, because you are just relying on, you know, come what may. Yeah, You just exactly. get it, whereas I can change Literally the way that I play the game. Literally every single turn, every Although, honestly, game. I didn't, I didn't, super often, I, did, I didn't place on top of your die where I would have to pay. But then again, that was a, this was a two-player game. Um, in a, in a more players game you would probably really benefit from that a lot. But then you would benefit a lot more from the the merchant, from gaining That's true. extra items. Correct. So just so we're clear on what you're doing in this game, is you're, you're, roll, you're each rolling dice, you have five dice each, and you're lining your, your dice up in order of pips, and you're using them to place out on the various spaces, one of which gets you money, another of which gets you a small combination of goods, um, a bunch of which are the Grand Bazaar, which I mentioned, give you sort of a matrix of different goods. One row will give you one good, and the next row gives you a different one, all the way up to gold, and then based on the, the pips on your die, you'll get, you know, ranging from one good up to like six goods, and sometimes an extra additional thing as well. And, um... There's another space for collecting contracts that you put on your board two at a time, and you can only have two at a time that you're working on. Um, and then there's another place that allows you to move on the actual map. And you do that by placing your dice, paying a specific amount for that bit of travel, and then moving along routes on the map, paying whatever costs are also printed on the map, either in money or in camels. And there are different types of spaces as well, some of which can only be occupied by one player. Others can be occupied by multiple players, but players who move there later have to pay to do it. So those are essentially the actions you're taking throughout the game. And I think it works fantastically. It feels very much like a Steffen Feld game to me, because you're able to take these dice, you know, that are random... And then you can use your camels to adjust them. You can use a camel to re-roll. You can use a couple of camels to get a free die each 
each of your turns, you can get an extra die that you can roll and add to your available actions. So even though you're rolling dice, and sometimes if you don't have a good roll, you'll get compensated in money and camels also. And because of that, there's a lot of this mitigation going on. And I think that it works really well. And that's why it feels sort of like Feldy to me, which, you know, I'm a big fan of Stefan Feld. And I'm a big fan of these guys, Simone Luciani and Daniele Tashini. And then I, I also really enjoy the map. Like, what do you think of the way those tiles come out onto the different cities on the map and the way they give you bonuses and uh, those those once-per-round extras? I like those a lot. I think that they make the game um, more dynamic. Um, they're sort of like, yeah, a little. they feel like a little bonus, like a little boost at the end um of each round and they're pretty useful I mean I definitely used my uh the places where I had trading posts I used those bonuses very strategically and very well and sometimes they made the difference between fulfilling a contract and not fulfilling a contract and so that's a huge thing considering that um the contracts give you significant points and then at the end whoever has the most contract gets seven points um I really did like that a lot and I do like that you have to have a trading post there to um, to get those bonuses because uh, I didn't really, the first time that I played, I didn't really try to uh, superimpose my destination tickets, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and the different uh, bonuses on the board. But I think I would be more strategic about that in the future. Yeah, I really like the movement around the map, especially because... The way that these trading posts work is that you have to stop at the city in order to place the trading post. So the movement mechanic makes it feel like it's really a big sort of journey, like a tough adventure where you're kind of like really pushing and, and going out into the, the vast world, which is probably what it felt like at this time. And, and that's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of great to, to be... Because the map looks so small. It's like, oh, I can get all, all over this map. It's like nine, ten places. But the way that it works, it, it's great. It kind of holds you back, but just enough so that you feel like you're achieving something by, by actually traveling around the map. Yeah, that's true. I really enjoy that bit, too. I, I mean, like, I don't really see much about this game that I think is, like, awful. It's funny because I, um, and maybe this is because we just talked about it, but I have a hard time expressing how I feel about it without in some ways comparing it to Grand Austria Hotel, and probably because there is the overlap in designer. It feels a little less, the die actions feel a little more repetitive, um, because I think there is a groove that you get into and a strategy that is much more easy to pick up and develop. Um... And, and so I do end up feeling like the die actions are a little bit more repetitive and that I'm sort of going um, in more of a rote direction, let's say. But again, it's, it's just a, it's a different level of game in terms of how heavy it is and how complex it is. And so I feel like it is a more accessible uh, alternative to Grand Austria Hotel. Um, I do. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it's a little bit lighter. 
Yeah. In uh, terms of like the crunchiness in my brain. Right, exactly. And the sense that I feel when I'm playing Voyages of Marco Polo that I'm actually achieving something um, <laughs> and, and not necessarily going uh, one step forward and two steps back. I feel like I'm actually, you know, putting one foot in front of the other the whole time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, I do enjoy the theme. I enjoy the little the little camels and the other little wooden pieces. Um, yeah, nice components for sure. Yeah, I mean, All I'm... little camel meeples. I'm, yeah, camel meeples. Pep, pepper meeples. Kameeples. <laughs> um, and I guess between the two of us, I'm more the stickler for aesthetics, but I do really like um, the sort of whimsical aesthetic quality of it. Um, although I also yeah, like Yeah, great the artwork also. They both have great artwork, yeah. I think. Oh, they both have phenomenal artwork. But I love on the Marco Polo board, all the dice placement areas have artwork like the money bag falling open, showing exactly three coins pour, pouring out of it, and mm-hmm. you take three coins. Or, you know, it, it just it looks nice. The whole board looks great. I and like the map looks yeah. great. It's a it's like a little cartoony. Yeah. Sort of, you know. Like I like the little contracts outlines. with their with their wax seals. Mm-hmm. Um. I thought those were cute. I like the little player board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you you earn some points by uh, finishing out all your trading posts as well. We didn't mm-hmm. mention that. I like all the different ways to, to earn in this game. Um, although it is mostly the contracts. Yeah, but, <clears throat> but the contracts are different enough. Maybe it's not ways to earn, but just things to do on your path to earning victory points. Yeah, I guess it's it true. It feels more like, like I guess, like an adventure. Yeah, because I agree. Than there's, a puzzle. There's not as many ways to There's a difference between an adventure and a puzzle, for sure. Even though they're both Euro games. Yeah. That's um. a very apt contrast. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, it just feels like there's a variety of stuff going on here that I really enjoy, which which suits the, the theme also. Both thematic. Nice games. I like them both. I like them both a lot. What do you What do you give uh, Voyages of Marco Polo on the Gamer Node scale? <sighs> I have a feeling we're gonna flip flop here. I think you might be surprised by my response, but I kind of give it a three. Whoa! Wow! Interesting. And I readily admitted and continue to readily admit that it might be because I played it very soon after um, Grand Austria Hotel. So I think if I hadn't been contrasting those so much in my mind, it might be different. But I, I do think it's a three. Interesting. I think it's a five. I think That's Voyages crazy. of Marco Polo is a five. I love, I just really like the game. I think it's a really good game. It's a good dice placement game. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> people love it. I mean, yeah, but people love Grand Austria Hotel, and I gave that they do. a five. I love them both. I think they're both great. These are some of my favorite designers, these guys. Both of them, Virginio. Uh, but do you think they're interchangeable? Like, do you think if I said, let's play Voyages of Marco Polo versus Grand Austria Hotel, you'd be like, oh, either one is fine? Yeah. Yeah, I like them both. Um, I would play either one anytime. Both of these games are in my top games, period. 
top they're up how there. many top a thousand games top a hundred top twenty five uh, top twenty maybe top twenty top ten maybe top okay. fifteen wow all right <laughs> you're useless like they're up there I really like these guys and interesting to note that this year this group of designers in various combination are bringing two more games to us here in the United States via Simon Limited, and those are Council of Four and Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which both also look to be excellent, excellent uh, Euro games. So I'm excited to play more from these guys, too. Um, As am I. Yeah. So I guess that wraps it up for our little spotlight on on these designers. Um, really enjoyed these games. I'm shocked at a three for Voyages of Marco Polo. I knew you. Would I was be. also kind of shocked at a five for Grand Austria Hotel. You don't even know me anymore. <laughs> but you know, happy, uh, happy for that for sure. Um, I've seen a lot of positive response to both of these games, and. I don't know, maybe it's not a five. Maybe it's a high four. Maybe they're both high fours. No, no they're, maybe they're no. both fives. GAH is a I five. <laughs> Voyages of Marco Polo is like a high four. Oh. It, that's how I would characterize the... I don't. I think I am on the bell curve an outlier, is what I'm trying to say. Ah, uh, I gotcha. You're saying, for the general public, you expect the response to be more in the high four range for Voyages of Marco Polo. Correct. Okay, that's fair. It's a good good that you can step outside of yourself. Thank you. Maybe you could just need to play it more. Get different characters. That's the other thing. You can have a different play experience just by using a different character. Mm. One of the characters has two separate meeples that move around the map separately. True. That's crazy. Maybe that all is of these all these powers are crazy. One of them just kind of poops out trading posts in every city he lands on. Instead of having to stop there. That seems so powerful. They all seem so powerful. And that's exciting to me. I love that variable player power stuff. Anyway, I love both these games. Bianca, I think she loves Voyages of Marco Polo more than she knows. And this might change. We'll talk about this again in the future. Mm -hmm. But maybe not. Alright, so that's it. That's uh, episode 71 of the Gamer Node Show. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoy talking about these games. They get us really excited. And we look forward to more. And you listening is what keeps us speaking. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Definitely go check out our YouTube channel. Watch all our videos. Like us. Subscribe over there so you can get all our new stuff coming out over there. Subscribe to the podcast, clearly on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on Stitcher as well. Um, follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Head over to GamerNode.com and, you know, keep it here. Keep listening, keep watching, and keep reading. Thank you for all of those things. We'll see you next time on the GamerNode Show, episode 72. Until then, I'm Eddie Anzato. I'm Bianca Figueroa Santana. See you later. Ciao.